Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast. We're glad that you are here and that you can be a part of a recent service at TCC. So let's join the service, which is already underway, and listen to the message. But we continue our series tonight on health and the cross. And our handout tonight, I'm going to just give you a fill-in-the-blank on five things. But as we talk about them, I would encourage you to evaluate that zero to ten there is for you to really think through where you are in this area. And uh, so I encourage you not to put your name on it, just in case you leave it in your pew and somebody sees. So, um, but zero being desperately need to work on this, ten being I have this completely under control. All right, so that's the evaluation. So we're going to talk about some things. We talked about last week, Kristen did a great job talking about health and the cross, and specifically we were addressing four different areas of health and the cross. The first, the spiritual. She, meant, she talked about the need for spiritual health, and tonight we're going to talk about physical health and then emotional and mental. And the question tonight is, is physical health important to God? Is physical health important to God. I want to look, we're going to look through a lot of scripture tonight, but 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. This is specifically talking about uh, being pure sexually, but it applies, I think, in a broader context. Paul writes to the Corinthian church in 619, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Whom you have from God, and you are not your own. For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So this particular passage really, I think, answers simply, does God care about our physical well-being or care about how we take care of our body? And I think... It's clear by this scripture that Paul felt like God cares. Psalm chapter 9, verse 12, the writer said, So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days. Psalm 139, 16 says, Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. And I think that uh, I don't want to get stuck here or in any kind of theological conundrum, but I think, number one, there are a number of days that are destined for all of us. There are a number of days. But I, in Exodus 23, verse 25 It says, so you shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water. And I will take sickness away from the midst of you. He says, no one shall suffer miscarriage or barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. I will fulfill the number of your days. Isaiah writes in Isaiah 38, and Hezekiah was sick to the point that uh, he was Uh, very desperate, and he prays to God, and God says, I'm going to give you 15 more years. 
In Isaiah 38.10, Hezekiah writes and he said, and he's talking about this experience and he said, in the prime of my life, I shall go to the gates of Sheol. I am deprived of the remainder of my years. And so I quickly say, mention some of these passages that I, I do believe that we have a number of days, that each one of us has a number of days. And I also believe that it's possible not to fulfill the number of your days. I think that it's possible that you can cut your days short. I don't think that that it's, it's just something that it's a foregone conclusion of I'm just going to live as long as God wants me to live. I think that there is a choice in the matter. There seems to be a choice in the matter that you have the opportunity to uh, live out your number of days and there that you have the opportunity to fill the number of days. Now, again, it's a little bit of a, a touchy thought, and I'm not sure uh, I've got my head all the way around it, you know, and I, I know that there are circumstances where children die or people die of in, in accidents and those kind of things. And so I, I, I think about those things. But what, when I thought about health, I, I have to think about, does it matter what I do with my physical body? Does it matter? Does God want me to care about my physical well-being, or am I just going to live regardless? And I, I can't reconcile that. I can't reconcile that I just live regardless with, uh, with regard when I look at Scripture about being good stewards of our bodies. And I, 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 I'm going to stop there for, on, on that because I, I don't want to dive too much further into that. But I think God cares about our physical health. And I think it matters to us ultimately fulfilling the number of our days and what God ultimately wants us to accomplish here on earth. And we understand, I'm going to give you five areas of physical health that we should seek to honor God with. And we know, Kristen mentioned this, but our, our different angles of health impact the other different elements. So tonight we're talking about physical health, and I believe that physical health can impact our emotional health, it can impact our mental health, and it can impact our spiritual health. And uh, when we don't eat right and we don't take care of our bodies, it can have an impact on our emotions. It can have an impact on our ability to use cognitive abilities, right? And uh, it impacts us spiritually on sometimes even our connection to God. And I, I, I'm not going to take time to do that, but I do believe that it, it has an impact on that. So the first area of our physical health we will consider tonight that we should seek to honor God with uh, our eating, with our eating. So I think the first question that we have to ask is, am I okay? What did I say? I don't know. I, I, man, all right, you're dismissed. Thank you for coming. But not what do you eat, but why do you eat? All right? I think the first question is, why do you eat? And I think that needs to be considered. 
when it comes to your physical health. I have this written in my Bible. Kristen hates it, but it is what it is. You have to deal with it. And it's biblical. It comes out of Ecclesiastes 10.17. It says, Blessed art thou, O land, when thy king is the son of nobles, and thy princes eat in due season for strength and not for drunkenness. So this is the why I suggest tonight on why you should eat. You should eat for strength and not for drunkenness. Okay. Ecclesi or uh, <laughs> Ezekiel chapter 47, verse 12. And, and let me backtrack. Let me just come back to Ecclesiastes since that was really uncomfortable. We know... <laughs> We know we, and especially in our culture and in a culture that celebrates food the way we do and we use food as a comfort, I think it's important to evaluate your self-control in this area based on are you eating for strength or are you eating to wipe away the tears, deal with something for drunkenness, to get away from something. And uh, I think eating is important to consider in that matter. Ezekiel chapter 47, verse 12, along the bank of the river on this side, and that will grow all kinds of trees used for food. Their leaves will not wither, their fruit will not fail. They will bear fruit every month because their waters flows from the sanctuary. Their food will be their their fruit will be good for food and their leaves for medicine. And so we see uh, we eat for healing. We eat for healing that we can find strength and we can find uh, renewed uh, health. And so we, we eat for strength, we eat for healing. So what do we eat? What do we eat? All right, let's get even more uncomfortable. God put man in a garden. All right, so I think that's important to understand that man was put in a garden. So fruits and vegetables were the first food. So you think about your chemical makeup, how God designed the human body. We have to take into consideration we were designed to be sustained by fruits and vegetables. And so that's one aspect of it. So I encourage you to eat your veggies and your fruits. There you go. So... However, after sin, I think it's important also to notice and look at Scripture carefully that God told Noah in Genesis chapter 9, 3, every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I have given you all things, even as the green herbs, but you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. So... We get this context that not only fruits and vegetables are okay to eat, but God is the one who gave permission for us to eat meat. We know that God gave the children of Israel certain dietary restrictions specific to uh, their culture and what they were dealing with, and uh, I'm not going to dive into that, and, and that's probably a pretty good dietary uh, plan is what the children of Israel ate, and I know people who do that. Um, but I think it's important to know that God does give freedom to what we eat. Paul wrote about this to Timothy. He said in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, Now the Spirit expressly 
says that in latter times some would depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisies, having their conscience, own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. All right, so he seems, Paul seems to give liberty here that there are options you can eat and things you can do as long as it's done uh, with thanksgiving, that you acknowledge that God has provided. And so back to the John Christ video, there should be a pre-meal prayer, a prayer of thanksgiving. But he also says the word of God. And so in my opinion, what Paul would be writing and considering the word of God there would be the verses we read previous, which say that God made fruits and vegetables and God told Noah that every creature is acceptable to eat. All right? All right, good. Let's move on. But we also know that not everything that's available to eat, we should eat. Right? There's, there's common sense. There's knowledge that we have today that is very important for us to process as we determine what we actually consume for strength. And so there, you can eat possums and skunks and all of those things, you're allowed. I mean, you're, you're able to, I think, roadkill cafe. You kill them, we grill them. Is that how it goes? So, but that's maybe not the best thing. So I think it's just important that you're, you're looking at what are you putting in your mouth? Is it sustaining you? Is it helping you? So there's a lot of diets out there, and I, I think that diets can help us gain control of our health and there's a few, and I'm not promoting these in any shape or form, but some of you may have used them. They're effective in certain ways, maybe, but I would, uh, let's have a public service announcement that consult your nutritionist and doctor before you begin a diet. But there's the Atkins diet, the diet that uh, really focuses on controlling insulin in the body through a low uh, carb kind of diet, the zone diet, the ketogenic diet, which involves reducing carbohydrates and um, taking in more fat. Some of you may, that's a pretty popular one right now. There's the vegetarian diet where you focus just on fruits and vegetables. There's the vegan diet, Weight Watchers diet, South Beach diet, raw food diet, Mediterranean diet. There's all these different ways that you can control your health. And, and again, I think all of them have probably a merit or they, they have a good genesis of trying to control something. I think at the end of the day, though, we come back to the principle, eat for strength and not for drunkenness, that we understand our bodies. We understand the needs of our bodies. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 1, when you sit down to eat with a ruler, consider carefully what is before you. And you are sitting down to eat, consider, and he says this, and I, I think this is a little bit violent, but it's kind of a, a picture in verse 2. 
and put a knife to your throat if you are a man given to appetite. All right? So understand what you're putting in and understand that if you're given to appetite, if you're given to the lack of control in eating, that you do things like dieting, do things to take care of the situation. I, I'm aware, uh, I was told of one particular person who um, was having a surgery for uh, gastric bypass, and the gastric bypass uh, uh, surgery was going to take place and the company that he worked for was going to be paying for it and so they required him to see a counselor. He actually saw a spirit-filled counselor and when the spirit-filled counselor talked to him, he said, listen, you're going to have this gastric bypass and it's going to help you but here's what you have to understand. You're addicted to food. That's the problem. You're addicted to food. And so that addiction is going to move to something else. And so I think more than anything, at a minimum, as we consider what we eat, that we consider the importance of self-control in moderation. That's, to me, the best model and the most effective model because it addresses a very important thing in our life, an attribute in our life, and that is self-control. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 31 says, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Do all to the glory of God. And not only should we consider what we eat, but we should consider not eating as part of what we eat. So Matthew six sixteen. moreover, Jesus said, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites. The assumption by Jesus was that as a Christian, you will fast. This is the first and foremost, and it's first and foremost, I think, Jesus is talking specifically about a food fast. Fasting speaks to your surrender to God as the sustainer of life. There is nothing more basic to your desire than the desire for food. Think about Eve's sin in the garden. It was good for food, right? It was good for food. That's a basic desire. Before she ever sinned, she liked food. That's a basic desire. And so when you fast, you are putting, you are surrendering to God as the sustainer of life. And its benefit is primarily spiritual. It opens doors to answers, helps fight sin, issues, and temptation. It provides clarity to relational issues. Fasting is powerfully spiritually. However, there are physical benefits to fasting as well. And for sake of time, I'm not going to go into all of them, but it promotes, in recent studies, it, it's uh, said that it promotes blood sugar control by reducing insulin resistance. It promotes better health by fighting inflammation, and there's a lot of health benefits to fasting. And so I encourage you not to just focus on what you're eating, but also look for times where you do not eat for the glory of God. There's a lot of different fasts out there. There's, there's kind of a normal fast of abstaining from food for a certain period of time and only taking in water or juices, and then there's partial fast, limiting certain things that you eat, or an absolute fast where you do not eat any kind of food or liquid 
and different other ones. There's different time periods you probably heard. There's a day fast, a, 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 a three-day fast, a, a one-meal fast, a, a seven-day fast, 21, 40, so forth. And there's different fasts that you can implore. But I encourage you to make that a part of your regular spiritual discipline. The second area of physical health we should seek to honor God with is in what we drink. What we drink. There are great health benefits to being hydrated. Not only are we healthy because of what we eat, we're healthy because of what we drink. Jesus used this analogy with the woman at the well. He said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will be in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. He uses this idea of water and the necessity of drinking uh, to be healthy. I had the opportunity to ride a bike a couple hundred miles with a few of my close friends here, Julie McGahey and Anthony Henson, years ago. And I, I had a wingman uh, on that ride. We, had, we rode 100 miles on a Friday and then rode 100 miles the next day on a Saturday. And my wingman, Brad Beatty, would always tell me, he would say, drink before you're thirsty. Because if you wait to drink when you're thirsty, you've waited too long. And it's true, just from a health benefit, it's true that if you wait till you're thirsty to drink, then you've already begun dehydration. And so drinking uh, consistently uh, is important for your health. We also know that 1 Timothy chapter 5, 23, he he tells Timothy, he says, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and your frequent infirmities. And so we understand that there are times that we take things into our body for the sake of healing, and I would agree with that. I I think there is an importance. God has helped uh, us to know the human body, and doctors and nurses and those who are in the medical field have helped create some great things that we put in our body to help us uh, find healing. But I, I want to say tonight, and uh, I am not trying to be controversial, but but honestly, from my heart, I'm trying to uh, be a good pastor, I feel like. But there are two reasons I don't think you should drink alcoholic beverages outside of medicinal purposes. The first is the clearest that drunkenness or drinking, drinking alcoholic beverages is the clearest and easiest, easiest path to the sin of drunkenness. It's the clearest and easiest path to the sin of drunkenness. And it's sinful, drunkenness is sinful because you lose absolute control of your body and your mind and your spirit and your emotions. You become out of control. So Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with uh, carousing, drunkenness, and cares of this life, and that the day come on you unexpectedly, 
for it will come as a snare on those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. That drinking and drunkenness cause us to miss the Spirit of God and what the Lord is speaking to us. So Jesus said that. Jesus addresses drunkenness. Paul said, now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. And wine and alcoholic beverages lead us to a place of lack of control. And Paul was very clear that this is a work of the flesh. Peter then would say in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1, so Jesus talks about it. Paul talks about it. Peter says, therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh... Arm yourselves also with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God, that it's possible to live outside of a fleshly or carnal existence. You can live for the will of God. For we have spent enough time, enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we, this is supposed to be behavior in the past, when we walked in lewdness, when we walked in lust, when we walked in drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation or debauchery or chaos, speaking evil of you, they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. So again, Peter addresses this as well. So as we view these scriptures, we view this idea of drunkenness, and we can look at the Old Testament as well on this, but I think we have to sincerely ask the question, at what point are you considered drunk according to scripture? Is it point zero eight? I'm, I'm asking a sincere question. I'm not trying to be ignorant. I'm saying that's the type of question that I, I think that we are, we, almost, we are acting foolishly when we try to act like that alcohol doesn't lead to drunkenness. It's the path. It's the easiest. It's the clearest Path. And so scripture tells us not to be drunkards, not to be drunk. And so the best way to avoid getting there is to not consume alcoholic beverages. The second reason I would suggest to you not to drink alcohol is that we should avoid it altogether because it is unhealthy. It is unhealthy physically, it is unhealthy relationally. And it is unhealthy practically. 
Paul said, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. And so we realize that alcohol, if we are honest about the work of alcohol in our world, we understand it's addictive, we understand it's controlling, we also understand it's legal. And so we don't judge I don't think it's wise as a Christian to judge what our liberties are based on what culture says is legal. I'm not going to be a prophet here, but I'm just going to tell you marijuana is going to be legal in Ohio. That's what I think. But that doesn't mean that I should do it. Doesn't make it wise to do because all of a sudden it's legal. It has the same effect that alcohol does. It takes control of the mind. And so as a Christian, we don't we we filter the things we take into our body by I think some of these principles. Does it have the ability to have the power over me? Does it have the ability to control me in any way? And uh, I'm going to move on quickly. There's a, there's a study that just came out in August 2018. You might have read this. And it's from CBS News. And uh, it was also in the BBC News as well. But it's a study that has said that there is no health benefit to alcohol. No health benefit to alcohol. And there's some studies that have tried to focus on the possible health benefits of drinking alcohol in moderation. But this large new report warns that the harms of alcohol greatly outweigh any potential beneficial effects. The study of this uh, particular uh, author, they look at authors, I should say, they look at data on 28 million people worldwide and determined that considering the risk, there is, in quotes, no safe level of alcohol. Alcohol, and, and we talk about the, the physical element of alcohol, there are 2.8 million deaths worldwide due to alcohol. 2.8 million. Let that sink in for a little bit. There, it's ridiculous, and sorry, I, I'm, I'm trying not to, I'm trying to hold my passion down a little bit, but I get mad. I get mad when people try to justify acting like it's not a big deal, because it's killing people. Number two, and I'm talking to the church now, I'm not talking to people out in the world, I'm talking to us as believers that it's absolutely at a minimum unwise. Think about the relational collateral. Many of you have relational, your own relational collateral because of alcohol. And practically speaking, how many jobs have been lost? How many things have happened? How much time has been wasted because people have to deal with the effects of alcohol and drugs? And so I, 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 I just want to help somebody today, if, if you wrestle with this, that it is absolutely not helpful to you, in my opinion, to drink alcohol, and it is not wise. Paul said this, see then that you walk circumspectly in Ephesians chapter 5, 15, not as fools, but as wise. Don't walk as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time 
because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in our hearts towards God. Anything that takes the place of new wine to bring joy in our life is a cheap substitute. Anything that comes in our life to bring us peace is a cheap substitute of the Spirit. And alcohol and drugs are a cheap substitute for the Spirit of God. Because the issue is control. We should be controlled by the Spirit. And so these kind of substances take away the ability for Christ to be in control of our life. And I know there are addictions, and I know there are things that may be present at different times, and I pray that you would have the courage to fight against those addictions. You would not accept them as normal or try to justify them, but I believe the Lord wants you to be absolutely free from the power of drugs and alcohol. The third area of physical health we should seek to honor God with is through exercise. So we praise God in the dance. Somebody said amen. I'm just kidding. 1 Timothy chapter 4, and I move quickly. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. The Spirit, the, now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times we read that we would depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. He says in verse 7, but reject profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourself toward godliness. So he's talking not about physical exercise here. He's talking about exercising your good works, living well, doing things that honor God, that, that really exercise yourself toward godliness. Then he says in verse 8, for bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. So I think it is important that we understand that uh, exercise is beneficial. It's beneficial to our bodies. And I would suggest that it's beneficial as much to us today as it's ever been. And that is because of the culture we live in. We live in a pretty sedentary culture, a culture that we sit a lot, we drive, we fly, everything's moving for us. We were at General Conference uh, in Louisville, and my hotel was about five blocks from the convention center. So I got on the bird. Y'all know what the bird is? It's the scooters. We just used my iPhone, signed it up, and boom, it took me two minutes to get to the convention center. Thinking back, it probably would have done me well, a little exercise to walk, but you know what? I don't have time for all that. So I think exercise does profit. It profits us, and it causes blood to flow in our mind it helps our emotions, it helps us physically, it helps us spiritually. And so getting into some kind of exercise routine, I think, is valuable to you physically, and I think it honors God. I think you can honor God. I don't think you have to be a bodybuilder. I don't think you have to be Greg Meadows up here. Uh, 
But he's honoring God by exercising and doing the best that he can. And I appreciate that spirit, that attitude that says, I'm going to take care of my body. The fourth area of physical health we should seek to honor God with is our sleep. Our sleep. Emma, Emma went to a youth event a couple weeks ago on a Friday night, and we're kind of getting in, you know, we've been youth pastors for a long time, but it's different being a parent of a youth. And so we pick her up late at night, it's midnight, one o'clock in the morning, and so we, or I don't know what time it was, got her to, to bed, and then the next day, Kristen had to wake her up to get ready for another event of some kind. It was a youth kind of deal the next day. And Emma, staggering, she's so tired, she says, Mom, I only got 10 hours of sleep. (laughs) Wow, life is brutal. Psalm chapter 127, verse 1 Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows. For so he gives his beloved sleep. That there are many health benefits to sleep. And uh, you can go health and human services websites and they list out that those who sleep well get sick less often, they stay at a healthy weight, they lower their risk of health problems, they reduce stress, and dear God, they improve their mood. Have you ever met somebody who can't deal with a few hours of sleep? Anyway, but how much sleep should we get? Babies, they say, 12 to 16 hours a day. Toddlers, 11 to 14. Preschoolers, 10 to 13. School age, 9 to 12. Teens need 8 to 10. Emma's 12, so she's still in that 9 to 12 hour range. Teens need 8 to 10, but most adults need 7 to 8 hours of good quality sleep. And, and I emphasize the term quality because it's not just the number of hours. And uh, I know some of you you know, have to deal with that and you wrestle with sleep apnea and those kind of things. Uh, But I think it's important that you find a way to sleep, that the Bible tells us that's important for our physical health. I conclude tonight that not only do we need sleep, but we need rest. Not only do we need sleep, but we need rest. See, there's this principle in the Bible that I don't think I understand really well. I certainly don't live out really well. And it's one of those things that it's, it's hard to maybe put parameters around, but it's very clear in Scripture, and it's called the Sabbath. Genesis chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Thus the heavens and earth and all the host of them were finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. I don't think God was sleeping. He just stopped working. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it, he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. 
Now, think about this idea because think about what God made in six days. What if he had worked on that seventh day? What could he have done? That's the idea of the Sabbath. If God would choose to stop working and understand that process, he would call on us to understand that same principle. That you and I aren't better than God. We are not better than God in that we can somehow outdo what God did. So he told the Israelites in Exodus chapter 28, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy or keep it separate. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your sons. And he lists all the things. And for in six days, he refers back to now the principle of creation. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that's in it and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. I don't have time to, talk, to read Matthew 12, but Jesus addresses the Sabbath as well in that area. But time is important. But let me say energy is what makes time valuable. Time is important, but energy is what makes time valuable. Working, there are studies that prove, and it just came out this year, studies prove that working over 60 hours a week is not productive. It's actually counterproductive. Working more than 10 hours a day is associated with a 60% jump in risk of cardiovascular issues. 10% of those who work 50 to 60 hours report relationship problems. The rate increases to 30% for those who work more than 60 hours. Little productive work occurs after 50 hours of work. In manufacturing industries, a 10% increase in overtime yields a 2.4% decrease decrease in productivity. 10% increase in overtime yields a 2.4% decrease in productivity. In white-collar jobs, productivity declines by as much as 25% when workers put in 60 hours or more. Wayne Cardario says in the book, Leading on Empty, he, he says, he warns, he says that we should find time for solitude, We should find time for solitude and reflection. And he differentiates. He said solitude is a healthy, prescriptive discipline. But isolation is a symptom of emotional depletion. And I think that when we talk about the Sabbath, it's very hard to put in terms. If you're not in the Jewish culture, it's kind of hard to really put it into a Christian context. But I think that it's important that we give our best to God and we give our first to God. And the question for me, and and this is probably the hardest thing that I'll talk about, is am I afraid of the lack of return on investment? The same issue that we have with tithing and offering is the same issue that we have with time and the Sabbath. We assume that we can do more with the time 
than God can do with the time. Just like we think that we don't need to tithe or we can't tithe because we can do better with the money than God can do with the money. God said, trust me with the first 10% of your income, and I will assure you that the 90% will be as valuable to you as if you had kept the entire 100%. Trust me. Have faith in me. But God also promises that if we would stop working for one day out of the week, that you will have seven days worth of productivity in six days. It's the, that's the principle. And again, that's a tough one that there's any that I'm ironing out, it's that one. But when we rest, God continues to work. And when we re-enter, it's with a humbled soul, hungry again for what he has called us to do. When we return once again to the work after that day of rest, we enter that Sabbath or we come out of that Sabbath, we return as a servant to God saying that you're in control of everything. And this Sabbath is not meant to be a hardship to us. God made this Sabbath as a gift to us. And it should be seen as a day of peace and a gift to us. And so, as you stand tonight, I conclude that as we consider our physical health, that we realize that at the end of the day, we're called, we're called to live the fruit of the Spirit. His Spirit dwells in us. It's Christ in us. He's come to help us live out the fruit of the Spirit. And one of the best fruit of the Spirit that will help us as much as any is self-control. We live in an out-of-control society. An overindulgent society. And so we're called on, I believe, and I hope that you'll evaluate these five areas of your physical health. What do you need to improve? Where are you doing well? Where are things lagging behind? Because we have the opportunity to honor God with our bodies. And so we discipline our physical world knowing it will empower our spiritual world. We discipline our physical world knowing it will empower our spiritual world. I mentioned Wayne Cordero. He said this, knowing the remedy doesn't necessarily complete the healing. The difference comes when we apply it. Reading the menu doesn't fill you up. Eating the food does. God, I thank you for today. I thank you for the opportunity to look sincerely and humbly into your word. God, we know that you have great things for us. God, there are opportunities that await us, things, God, for us to do. God, and some of it will require us to be strong, to be healthy at times. God, you can use us even in our sickness. You can use us in our weakness. But Lord, you've called us to be the best stewards we can of this temple that's called a body. And I'm praying, oh God, that you would just help us today. Help us to be honest with where we are. To not foolishly just accept what culture is feeding us or telling us, Lord. But Lord, that we would honor you. We would seek to honor you with self-control. We would seek to let the leading of the Spirit guide us. And that we would, God, 
submit ourselves to, to you in a greater way than we ever have before. Give us moderation. Give us the ability to not be extremists, Lord, not to even judge somebody else around us. So, Lord, we would just look intently at our heart, look intently at what you've purposed in our life, and to seek to bring glory to your name through our temple. In the name of Jesus, and everyone said amen. 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 God bless you. There are donuts and cookies out in the foyer that uh, we want to bless you with. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.